Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's great to be with you today in another installment of the Pastoral Podcast. And as usual, I've got some great guys here in the circle with me and would love for you guys to introduce yourselves and say, hey. Hey. Who are you? <laughs> I, I don't know, know a name any, to I don't your know voice. Anymore. <laughs> Someone tell me who, who I am. am I? Who You've am been locked I? away with your kids for too long. Yeah. This is uh, Elliot from 12 South. This is Brant from East Nashville. This is Dave from Creef Hall. And Randy from Granny White. So good to have you guys with us. And today we are diving into Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. And man, guys, this is a pretty familiar story for even folks that maybe haven't been in church for most of their lives. It's the story of Martha and Mary, two sisters, and their struggle when Jesus comes a calling. So why don't we dive in? And Dave, you want to read the passage for us? Sure. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Thanks, Dave. You know, there's been a lot of ways that this passage has been taught over the years, and uh, one of those ways is that there's a good sister and a bad sister. And that's just not true in this text at all, is it? Mm-mm. No. No, absolutely not. I mean, Jesus and his disciples were in need. They were moving around at this point. And, you know, the fact that Martha opened up her home to them and even was uh, seeking to provide a meal for them, uh, that was a that was not only a risky thing based on kind of some of the buzz that Jesus was getting at this point and the resistance he was getting, but it was a generous thing. So, yeah, it's it's a big deal. Yeah, especially in a culture where hospitality and bringing people into your home was such a sign of affection and welcome for Martha to be setting the house. I mean, it's, she's the one that's named in the first verse. Martha welcomed him into her house. That, that's a sign of deep, not just love and affection, but honor uh, mm-hmm. that she's showing Jesus. And let's appreciate, too, this is her house. She's a woman who obviously has means in her life, and that is likely as a result of what she's accomplished. Yeah. You know, so she's choosing to provide and be generous to honor Jesus out of that, the resources that she has because she's been enterprising enough to have those resources. Yeah. And also, people just don't feed themselves. I mean, meals don't just get prepared on their own. This is Jesus and probably his disciples, and then Martha and Mary's friends. This was probably a huge undertaking to feed maybe 15, maybe up to 30 people. Mm-hmm. So Martha's doing something that's not only beautiful, but it's something that is necessary. But when she talks to Jesus, we start to get some clues that something else is going on with Martha, and that something else that's going on may have something to do with expectations. Yeah, we see in verse 39, and Luke, the author, is making sure the reader knows it. Her sister, called Mary, sits at Jesus' feet and isn't helping with the welcome, isn't helping with the preparations. And we need to know that because that's disrupting something. And it's it certainly disrupts something in Mary or in Martha that we'll see 
it also is disrupting maybe what Mary's cultural responsibilities would have been. She maybe should have been helping welcome the guests. So Martha takes some issue with that. Yeah, I love that word expectations. Let's talk a little bit about that because there seems to be this heavy cloud of cultural expectations, but also probably family expectations that Martha is living under, or even maybe relational expectations. But my favorite is probably personal expectations, expectations I have of myself. And Martha seems to have some of that. And I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about the role that expectations play in our lives. How long do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I expect you to have that done in just a couple of minutes. (laughs) I mean, in many ways, expectations can become the commandments that dictate my life. And the, the expectations that I believe others have put on me, that they actually have, that I imagine that they have, that I have for myself, become the rules by which I, I have decided to live my life. You can talk about that culturally. It can be everything from the gender norms that Martha's kind of respecting and playing to here, that it was culturally inappropriate for a woman to sit at the feet of a man as a teacher. And so there's something in Martha that's offended by Mary choosing a different role because of her gender. So Martha's living under the stricture of those rules. It's not hard to imagine family-wise, right, that even their family system is at play here. You got to wonder, was Mary always the one who was shirking her chores to do something else? You You got to hear that in Martha. I'm an oldest (laughs) child. I know how that goes, right? I mean, those are two of them. I'm sure you guys can speak to the other ones as well, but. Yeah, I think whether it's cultural or family or personal, We kind of have a whole bunch of different sets of Ten Commandments that we live by, (laughs) thou shalt and thou shalt nots. And it seems as though Martha is certainly up against some of those in this moment where, uh, in her mind, there were preparations that had to be made, which carries with it a big should. This is what should be done uh, right now. And so expectations, they're fantastic motivators, but they're bad masters. And oftentimes we get a lot done and accomplish a lot, living into and up to the expectations that are put on the table for us or that we put on the table for ourselves until we can't. And then one of two things happens, uh, I think, is either I haven't met the expectation uh, and so I feel ashamed or I I kind of double down and I'm going to meet that expectation and and my pride comes out, which I think we taste a little bit of both of those uh, in this story. Yeah, Randy, I think it's a dangerous question. This is kind of what you do. You ask simple questions that are like depth chargers. If I was going to consider and even ponder for a while how often I carry around expectations, it would maybe annihilate me (laughs) because I think when you kind of go down that road in your heart and in your daily interactions, whatever category you pick, cultural, family, relational, personal, I would maybe wager that Maybe all of my discontentment and discomfort comes from my expectations not being met. And that can happen with my kids. That can happen with my performance at my job. That can happen in my marriage. That can happen in my spiritual walk. Like a constant, almost just undergirding baseline of like frustration and I'm I'm bothered and I'm I'm angry is from unmet expectations. I expect you to be different. I expect me to be different. I expect the world to be different. And I'm carrying that word around. I'm carrying the reality of that word around, whether I realize it or not. It's in the oxygen. Well, you know, 
we have to stop for a moment and ask the question and wrestle with our expectations bad because we all have expectations in every relationship that we have, you know, but the expectations I have of my wife, Renee seem very fair, but the expectations that she has of me seem very unjust, <laughs> but it's fair for a parent to have expectations of their children and for their children to have expectations, you know, spoken agreed upon expectations are a healthy part of every relationship. So how do I know when expectations now have moved into the category of this isn't good? I think one of the clues in my life is how often I talk about the things that I have to do. Like I played this game for a little while where I would change have to to get to. Whenever I would say, oh, I have to. It was amazing how many times in my day I was talking about all the things I had to do. Right. And when I would switch it to get to, I would almost choke on it because it just didn't fit. And what it exposed is, oh, there are all these rules in my heart that I'm living by that aren't actually good for me or from the Lord. Yeah, I think one of the litmus tests to answer your question, Randy, is, because that's what you expect me to do right now, you expect me to answer your question, uh, I... <laughs> is the, this is the, the kind of relationship that we have. The, the subtle but very dangerous transformation when expectations turn into demands and expectations are can be a very healthy thing. I ex, I expect certain things from my wife and my kids and myself and my family that are healthy. If those things aren't met and then I'm able to freely condemn and punish you for those things, now they've become a demand that is not necessarily the fruit of a healthy expectation. We see that some of the worst expectations that I can actually live under are my own. Yeah. And we see here in the life of Martha that she was doing good things, but she was living under the weight of a lot of her own expectations, which was producing in her life worry. Jesus actually said, you're worried about many things. And I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about worry. I mean, worry, is worry a sin? When I worry, have I violated <laughs> the Lord and his command over me? Have I missed his expectation? I wouldn't say that worry in and of itself is a sin. I think worry to a point just as simply the acknowledgement that I care about something. Say that again, Dave, because I think that is so important for us to lift the veil of shame and guilt off our emotions. Yeah, I just think worry is just at its initial baseline, not when it's gone too far, is just the expression of uh, I care and I'm and concerned about something that matters to me, uh, that I love. And so I think that when worry goes to a place like toxic worry or beyond just care and concern to the place to, you know, where we see maybe Martha headed in the story where there's, there's blame, there's judgment, there's a sense of abandonment, all these things that we'll, we'll get into here in the story. That's where worry has moved beyond the present moment and beyond the present care and has kind of grown into something to where kind of the emotional distress of what she's experiencing um, is exposing that what you're worried about is actually greater than what's happening in this moment, that we're, we're getting to the roots of something here. They're bigger than what's happening in the present. So, In the story here, we see that worry with Martha has gone past this beautiful emotion, which is a gift from the Lord that shows us that we care about something and something that we can celebrate, to now it's becoming a controlling emotion that's become somewhat toxic in our life mm. mixed with this cocktail of expectations 
and it's actually bearing some fruit in her life. And it's not pretty fruit. What fruit are you guys seeing in Martha's life because of this? When it says in there, in the middle of this little passage, Martha was distracted with much serving. Um, that word there means to be deeply troubled about something, to, to actually be drawn away. And that's what we're talking about is that worry has drawn her away. And now it's dictating her life. It's not just exposing that she cares, like you're saying. It's it's actually leading her and guiding her. And we see the fruit of it in the way that she talks to Jesus, like is true for many of us. When we're feeling something deeply, our words tend to expose the depth of what's actually going on. And there's a lot buried in how she talks to Jesus that's exposing what worry has done to her. I mean, you see it in verse 40, the first thing she she leads with, well, she leads with Lord, which is really ironic considering all the things she's about to say. <laughs> but she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Right. And man, I re- like Martha, I hear you on that. Because when I am living out of my commitment to my worry and, and meeting my own expectations, I am always so surprised that no one is as interested in meeting all of my own expectations, that I start to feel alone. And I blame everybody else for that. I'm always asking, why are you not as committed to my agenda for myself as I am? Am I alone in this? And I always end up feeling alone in it. I call it kitchen washing righteousness, where <laughs> dinner's you call over. That? Would Renee agree that that's what you call it? <laughs> well, I don't cook, but I, I clean. And it seems how everybody in our family scatters when it's time to clean the kitchen. And I, I feel very self-righteous and angry and feel abandoned. I think that, you know, it's interesting. It seems as though, based on what she's saying, that the meal hasn't been made yet. And so she's feeling something in the moment. She cares about this meal being ready and being prepared in a certain way, but it's not there yet. And so, you know, worry kind of takes my present feeling and then it brings it forward into the future. So it's not just what I'm feeling in that moment. We had somebody break into our house one time. That's a story for another podcast. And uh, I didn't didn't say when that person, when that happened in, in real time, I was worried at that time. I was scared. I was upset. Uh, and I was afraid. But now every time I hear a bump in the night, I get worried because worry actually has to do mostly with the future. And it takes what's presently difficult for me. You know, what Mary, or sorry, Martha is experiencing right now and thinking about, hey, when the meal's supposed to be ready, the future. And it takes present hard and future hard, and it makes it makes the, the moment impossible right then. But she seems to be asking a legitimate, kind, and curious question here. Lord, do you not care? <laughs> Is that what she's doing here? Is she asking honestly from Jesus if he cares about her? She's already decided that he doesn't care. She's making the accusation, you don't care, and I need to ask you about why you don't care. I, I think that, you know— playing the scene out in our minds, like going to this living room is really a helpful uh, addition. Like verse 39, Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet, as are these 15 to 30 people listening to Jesus teach. And then we're told in verse 40 that Martha goes up to him. He's in the middle of teaching and she she beelines up to him to make sure she has this interaction with him because she's got to clear some things up. And it's what Dave was just saying, my feelings become the only thing that matter. And I'm feeling this way, and I feel like, you know, you don't care, Jesus, and I'm all alone, like you were saying, Brant, and 
Um, I have this self-righteousness. I'm willing to interrupt whatever else is going on to make sure that I get taken care of in the way that I need to get taken care of. And I think we see at the a really soft part in Martha's heart under all of that, that she's a woman who wants to be cared for, like as people we all want to be cared for. Hmm. And so her cry to Jesus is, don't you care for me? Won't you care for me? And there's something that's really the beautiful about that, and Jesus responds to that, and, and we'll get to that part of it. But it also shows that in my worry, I often prescribe for God how he has to show me he cares for me. Hmm. So she says, Jesus, don't you care? Which is, I don't think you do, but if you do and you want to show it to me, this is what it should look like. You should tell my sister to do this for me, and that'll deal with my worry and prove that you care. Which is maybe something we can all relate to, because let's just be honest, that everyone that's listening to this has plenty of Martha in them. I know the four of us do. (laughs) And when worry begins to take root in our hearts and becomes toxic, it's easy for us to create narratives about other people and actually blame people. And toxic worry comes out in blaming other people for the pain in my own life. We also see here that now questions are really veiled statements, that she's publicly rebuking Jesus for not caring about her in front of his disciples. Like, that's a bold move. (laughs) But then there is uh, the final thing that worry tends to do in our relationships with other people. And it's found here right after the question where she looks at Jesus and says, tell her then to help me. What is she doing there? What is worry producing in Martha? Yeah, it's what you just said, Brant. It's not only do I have an idea of what Jesus's care would look like, I'm willing and bold enough to tell him, this is what you, son of the most high God and second member of the Trinity, must do for me. And so it it actually transforms or maybe reveals how much my worry has become pride, that I know what's best in this situation, and I'm so sure of that. I will tell you, Jesus, that if you were good, this is what you would be doing. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, everybody's listening to him, but now worry has moved Martha to a point in her own heart and mind where she's wanting Jesus and everyone to listen to her. Do you think that, guys, for your communities that are listening to this, do you think that it's easy in these trying times to feel like God's not listening to us and that, in fact, what we're dealing with is not a lack of faith, but it's a toxic worry? that has said to God that I need you to do A, B, or C. And if you're not going to do those things, I'm not sure if you're trustworthy. Can worry do that in our lives during this time of isolation? Absolutely. I think the thing about toxic worry, which I think we should say what it is, which is toxic worry is sin. That toxic worry is where my fear has moved from a a fear of the Lord or an awe and a trust and hope in Him to fear of, of something else. And the hard thing is is that when I begin to worry about one thing, that takes root in my life. Worries multiply. That once I become comfortable with keeping worry, toxic worry, in one area of my life, it opens the gateway to toxic worry in every area of my life. And yeah, I think that we're at a time where, you know, all the gates are swinging open in many ways, and there's plenty of opportunities to have our, our concern or our care for something that's legitimate. Um, and it's in its right place, grow beyond that to the place to where worry kind of has its hand on the steering wheel and is is driving like a crazy man, you know? I think that's an interesting thing that you would call toxic worry sin. 
because once I name it sin, it gives me a different road to travel with it. If I keep it in the category of I'm just not doing well or I'm emotionally troubled, it seems like such a vague place to find peace in. Jesus said to Martha that she was troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And I'd like for in our remaining time here for you guys to talk about how do I take up my worry and carry it to the feet of Jesus and experience what Mary was experiencing, this good portion that Mary was experiencing? In a really practical way, I think it starts with knowing that you're hungry. And that often takes place for me, I think for us, in the place of prayer, is being willing to confess my worry to Jesus. And then as I'm speaking it out loud to let him lead me in in tracing what I'm actually worried about and afraid of, right? And seeing what that is and, and saying it to him. But it never just stops with me telling God what I'm worried about, that I have to create space for the Lord to speak back to me. And that that happens through scripture, because that's what's true and what I anchor in and what's true. And I think for a long time when I was wrestling with worry, I used to go to the passages in scripture that told me, don't worry. And I just stopped with the command. I just memorized the command, don't worry. And so I would call to mind, hey, don't do that thing, which was not really helpful and not worrying. And I had to start letting the Lord do for me what he does for Martha here, which is care for her. He says, Martha, Martha, and that's a term of endearment. And in all of these passages where Jesus talks to us about worry, he says, let me tell you who I am to you. Let me tell you who God is to you. He's a good father who loves you, who cares for you. So hold on to that instead of all of these false narratives about what you have to be worried about. So I've got to go to scripture and to replace what's not true with what is true, which is that God is for me and loves me and delights to do good to me. Yeah, with whatever we would want to say is being exposed in Martha in this passage, one thing is true. She goes to Jesus with how she's feeling, and she tells him, she's like the Psalms, this is the depth of what I'm feeling, what I'm afraid of, toxic or not, this is where I'm at. And then she lets Jesus speak to her. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you're talking about, Randy, is there's this vague, hidden, you know, veiled spirituality where I can... I'm just, I'm struggling or I'm just so worried. But if it just kind of stays there and I don't bring it to Jesus and be honest with myself and with him and then let him speak back to me and even like you were saying, Brant, gently rebuke me and care for me, then worry stays, like you said, Dave, in the driver's seat. Especially when worries move to a toxic place, I'm utterly certain of what I'm worried about. And what Jesus shows Martha here is, is that your worry it's bigger than this moment. It's bigger than what's presently happening. You're worried about many things. I think one of the things just very practically that has taken a, a long time to even begin to implement in my life is distrusting my trust of what I know my worry is about and actually going to Jesus and saying, this is how I'm feeling. And I think I know what that's about, but I know you know what that's about because you know my heart better than I know my heart. Like he did Martha here, he says her name twice, and a lot of commentators said he childed her in this moment, like Martha, 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 in a very sweet and gentle way. Let me, let me teach you about what's going on in your heart, because I'm the one who knows your heart, and I'm, I'm the one who knows what your heart most needs. And worry always, it lines needs up in the wrong way. <laughs> it puts second things first and first things second. 
And that's going to happen. I mean, it just is. I mean, I'm, I'm a human being. I'm, I'm a fallen human being who is messy. Uh, but Jesus loves to reorder things for us. And I can't reorder it through self-determination. I need him to reveal it to me. And so he, he gives me things, you know, like prayer, his word, or even other people. Brant, you're nodding at me. What, what were you about to say? I mean, I can think of examples of where, where you guys have done this for me, where I've gone to the Lord with my worry, and I'm so clouded, mm. I can't even hear from him. I remember calling Randy in the middle of a panic attack, literally. Mm. I needed someone else to be the voice of Jesus to me. And this is really important because it's not someone else to be an amplifier to my worry. Sometimes we think that's what community is, is I tell you I'm worried and you say, oh, well, of course you're worried about that. Let me just tell you more why you should be worried about that. <laughs> let me let me put some more yeah. logs on the fire of yes. why your worry is so noble. Like That's not what we need from each other at all. Sometimes I need people in my life to say, hey, this is what I'm hearing. And, and Dave, you've done this for me. Let me tell you what I hear this worry actually being about. And let me tell you who God is in that worry. And now you take that and go be with Jesus with what is true. It almost sounds like you guys are saying we should have a healthy worry about toxic worry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, uh, and for a lot of our folks, and a lot of times in my own life, it's hard for me to put my finger on the fact that I'm worried. I remember a number of years ago, we had a mouse in our laundry room. And we never saw the mouse, but we saw the evidence of the mouse. And we're seeing in this story evidence of worry where we dedicate our lives to uh, blaming other people, or we find it so easy to rebuke other people when we see they're not doing what we want them to do or control. And underneath a lot of those things is a toxic worry that is being driven probably by expectations that have either been put on us falsely or the ones that we wear ourselves that are not healthy. And I hear you guys talking about the Word of God and community and prayer or the ways that we help bring that toxic worry to Jesus. But I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about what is this thing of prayer? When you talk about prayer and worry, how do you guys experience that? How would you encourage our community to practice prayer when they identify, hey, I think I got worry in my life. How do you prayerfully bring worry to the feet of Jesus? I think the Psalms are a great guide for how to pray, that there's a very free and honest David in many of the Psalms who's expressing truly how he feels. But there's also in much of David's you know, litany of Psalms and many of the Psalms in general that feels very free to express how one is experiencing the present moment, but also free to receive, like Martha here, who the Lord is and who he's proved himself to be, and even stating that in prayer. Lord, this is how I'm feeling, but this is who I know who, who you truly are. And I think what we see here in Jesus's words to Martha is also a guide for prayer. It's really comforting because when he says to her, and y'all have all commented on it, Martha, Martha, it's a very endearing term. And what it expresses is, Martha, I know you. Prayer is us coming to, yes, make our requests known to the Lord. It's also a time we're communing with the one who truly knows us. Like, Martha, Martha, like you said, Dave, I, I know what's going on in you. And prayer is this intimate place where I get to fully bring the weight of what I'm feeling to the one who knows, knows me more than I know me, and I'll receive guidance and care 
from Him. Prayer looks like bringing my full heart to the Lord to speak and listen. I think it also, you know, it looks like submitting my choice to the Lord. You know, it's clear that Martha has an opinion about what should be happening, and she's led by Jesus to the fact that Mary has made a different choice. And part of what prayer looks like, you know, yeah, bring my whole heart to the Lord, tell Him what I want, uh, like you're saying, Elliot, but then ask Him, how do you want me to move forward here? What's the choice that you're leading me in? and the conviction that you're giving me. And worry oftentimes seems like it's the decision's already made <laughs> versus, no, I'm bringing that to somebody who has more authority than I do and who has more capacity than I do. I'm going to let him make the decision. Mm-hmm. In some ways, obey. I'm going to make my worry obey the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make my worry answer to the truth that is bigger than what I might feel in this moment. One of the passages that comes to mind for me is Philippians 4, uh, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I think something that can be really helpful for me is if there's something that I that I want, is actually telling that to God and putting it out there, putting it before him as a request and not as a demand. To be able to say, God, I would like for this to happen and I trust you. Mm. And then this practice of thanksgiving in prayer is also really key. Because when I thank God for who he is, for what he's done, for what I have, what he's given me, it reminds me in a really detailed way about God's demonstrated character toward me. And so when I give God my request and then I ground myself in his character, I'm anchoring myself in what's true uh, about who I am and who God is. The rest of that passage is, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's telling us that there's an assault on our mind and on our heart. And this really matters for us to not to be passive when it comes to worry, because then it becomes toxic worry, but to actually see it for what it is, name it, and bring it to Jesus and ask his intervention in our hearts and our minds. And one of the ways we do that at the very beginning of this passage, it says rejoice in the Lord always, that one of the weapons that we have against toxic worry is joy. And that rejoicing means I'm rejoying my heart. I'm calling my heart and my mind to remember the goodness of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. I'm actually bringing myself like Mary back to the feet of Jesus to be with him. Well, we pray for our community because we deeply love all of you that are listening to this and care a great deal about this season. For some of you, I've heard it's a beautiful season of rest and a whole change of pace, and you're doing remarkably well, and we're so thankful for those of you that are really in a healthy place here. Use your health to care and love and to pray for those uh, that may not be doing so well. We also hear of folks that have lost their jobs and people that are under unbelievable financial struggles right now that is just a rich garden soil to grow worry. And some of you that may even be sick or you live with chronic health problems and you you live in very real fear that the coronavirus could be something more than just a cold for you. And so as we depart here, guys, do you have any final words for this community of people that we love and we hope that this is a growing time in their lives? I mean, it's really important that you know you are not alone. And you're not alone first because Jesus is with you. 
That's the most important, not alone. You're also not alone because when you are united to Christ, you're united to a body of believers, and you have a family here at Midtown. We believe that, and and we're trying to figure out how we would go about practicing that in this time. One of the ways that we've chosen to do that is there's a prayer wall up on the website. We would encourage you, if you have something that you need people to be praying for, please invite our community into that with you. Post your prayer, and if you don't have things you want prayed for right now, you can go there and pray for people's prayer requests and note that you've prayed for them. So I would encourage you to also to go there and spend some time being a part of this family by praying for other people. Yeah, and it's certainly not what we long for forever, but in this season of social isolation, social distancing, our small groups are still meeting via Zoom. And I would just encourage anybody, if you're in a small group, stay plugged in. If, if you're not in one, they're really easy to join. You can go to our website and click on the groups tab and just join a small group virtually. And I think that, yeah, one of the things that worry loves to convince us of is that we're all alone and that we're the only ones experiencing that worry. And so just to know that you're not alone in, in the worry is is part of the healing for that. And small groups is a great way to do that. And then if some of the worries you have, like we talked about earlier, that may not be toxic, you may be worried about how you're going to pay your bills this month. And that may be very legitimate and not toxic. And I would just say if you're a Midtowner that is having some intense financial struggles, please reach out to us on our website. We would love to see how we could help not just enter your spiritual healing of toxic worry, but actually help meet some of your actual needs too. All right. Well, I'm going to pray for us. Yeah. Love you guys very much. Oh, Lord, I pray, Jesus, uh, that you would, like you walked into this home (laughs) centuries ago, that you would walk in to the homes of those who are listening right now. And that you would come in uh, and that you would give words, words of life and words of encouragement, words of truth that would speak directly into potentially all the distractions and all the worries, the toxic worries and the upsets that we have and and we will have and we do have and even that we curate. I pray uh, that we would hear you say our name like you said to Martha and that you would gently restore us to the sanity of the gospel that gives us joy, uh, gives us real peace, it guards our hearts against uh, lies and untruth that oftentimes turn a little campfire of worry into a bonfire. Jesus, speak those words, come quickly and often into the kitchen conversations of our own hearts and minds and restore us to see you for who you are, which is a good father who loves us uh, very much and who is working in ways even when we can't see. And it restores us to a right place of really knowing that we aren't alone, that what worry says that it all kind of depends on us and hangs on us is not the truth. You are. So be present, be near, be powerful. And I just pray that you would just magnify the truth. Like, would you... Like in wartime with the sirens, put it on the megaphones, like scream it out over the neighborhoods. This is the truth amidst all the other things uh, that are easily coming into our homes and saying something different. We love you. Amen. Amen.